Welcome to the Olive Tree Podcast channel. Whether you're listening from our beloved Durban, South Africa, or from further away, we trust that you would feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community, and that you feel inspired by today's message. How's it, everyone? Uh, it's so good to be with you guys uh, on the other side of uh, the year. Compliments to the season. Happy 2021. I was actually reading a meme <laughs> just recently, and someone said, if no one else is going to do it, uh, I'm going to be the first to say it because I can see you're all nervous. 2021 is going to be my year. And he was like, at the most smug face, pouring himself a drink. And I think it really takes a brave person to uh, claim after the year we've had last year that 2021 is going to be your year. But I still pray right now that uh, your holiday season was good. I pray it was great. I pray that all the messages about peace and everything that we spoke about uh, on the other side of the year Uh, came to fruition in your life and that you've been on a journey with it. If it's been difficult, I just want to say that I completely empathize with you. And I still pray right now that God could give you the power and the peace to keep getting up and to keep moving forward, to keep having the courage to believe in him and to keep uh, fighting. Uh, I know that for us, we were lucky that right before the president's announcements, we'd already made arrangements to be somewhere else. And so... Uh, I had a pretty pleasant uh, crossing over up in the Drakensberg with a very small group of friends. Um, if you were in Cobham at the time, I'm so sorry for the noise we made. <laughs> we got, uh, yes, it was fun. But I'm aware that it wasn't like that for everyone. And so if your experience hasn't been the same, I really, really pray right now that 2021 is completely different. There's also something else that happened because as good as 20. As the new year was, just that day, we, it was cool. We got to hike a little bit and see some incredible stuff. And we all got like, that day just sold us dreams for the next year. And even though we were nervous to say it or, or didn't have the courage to say it out loud, we all had hoped to some degree that this year would be different. That somehow, just the five, four, three, two, one, and then, and a whole new chapter would start. And if I could compare it to anything, it sort of, it felt like, uh, what can I say, those failed videos you watch of baby reveals where everyone gets super excited and the balloon goes up and the father's meant to shoot or something and either he gets it and it busts and there's nothing or there's like a one-tone color or this thing that was meant to blow up and smoke just goes and it just, it felt like that because as quickly as we were excited about the new year, the sober reality came over us that actually not much has changed. And so, With that in mind, I had to make a really conscious decision about what I was going to speak about today. I know that when Paul spoke last week, he said that uh, he's going to have a deep, deep message. And then this week, we'll go back to happy and normal. But that's that's not the case, unfortunately. Actually, I hope it is. I hope what I have to bring is somewhat encouraging to you. But I'm very aware of the reality that we're in right now, that the suffering has turned into more suffering. The sickness has turned into more sickness. The anxiety has been raised. And it sort of feels like deja vu of the beginning when people started getting laid off from work and all the rest of that stuff. I think it would be careless of me to give you a message that sold you dreams. <laughs> to give you a prosperity gospel right now is probably the, not the best thing for me to do. Now, I'm not going to go as deep as Paul when Paul went so incredibly deep. I've watched these messages three times just trying to get my head around it. But what I loved about it so much is that he spoke such genuine like genuine thoughts. He, he just spoke his heart and the hearts of his friends and their experience. And hopefully I can 
do a little bit of the same today, but I'm going to use uh, one specific story. I'm just going to tell a story. It's not my own story. And just up front and for the record, I'm not telling this story to make light of what you may be going through or to uh, wash it down to a cliche. That's not what I want to do. But I really think that there's a powerful message here. And the thing, so I've been reading the book of Job, and that's the book that we're going to dive into. Paul mentioned it last week, and what I didn't want to do is go uh, contradict what he had to say or anything like that. But I also didn't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater, so I took on this challenge to, to speak on the book of Job. And while I've been trying to work it out and wrestle with it, um, it's just revealed some things to me, and hopefully uh, those things can be helpful to how you fight your battles in the season. And here's why I wanted to speak about this message specifically is that, as I've mentioned and have made no secret of, like life is really difficult at the moment. And so I, first thing is that I don't want to sell you dreams. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to give you a, a false gospel. But I also want to give you a message that can prepare how you fight your battles. I really, really believe that if we can get these two truths that I'm going to speak about today, if we can get those principles and start to work on them in our lives, that this year can be can be different. And the, I haven't worked out the words to articulate what I'm trying to say, but I, there's this relationship between faith and wisdom that I'm trying to work out. And as, as you know about the book of Job, the book of Job is taken from the wisdom literature. It's, it's one of the books on wisdom and it speaks about God's wisdom, but it also gives us a little bit of insight into what human wisdom is. And this confronts the question of suffering, which we're all very familiar with at the, at the moment to some degree, some more than others. And so without it, Further ado, I'm going to tell you the story, and I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit because it's a lot to read. So in the beginning of this book of Job, we're introduced to the character of Job, and, and Job is introduced to us as this, this very noble, good man. He honors God, and he's upright, and he looks after his community. He's, he's just a picture of like a good person who deserves nothing but the best. Someone you would wish got nothing but the best. And then we're taken from this guy who's this upright man from an uh, unknown place called Uz, which is in no particular place in time. And I think that's intentional. When you read the book of Job, you don't want to get lost in the semantics about where this happened. Is this real? This and that and that and the other. And then we're taken to another scene. And now in another scene, we're in like a heavenly court and God is having like his uh, weekly address, his, his own weekly family meeting, and everyone is, and, and these angels are giving accounts of everything, and Satan is there too. And Satan in the story is called the accuser, and so he comes forward, and he accuses, uh, he doesn't accuse Job, he just says, God asks him, where have you been? And he's like, I've been throughout the earth, uh, back and forth through the earth, looking for whatever he was looking for, and, and so he gives that account, and then God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And begins to brag about Job. <laughs> and this is like, at this point, I begin feeling sorry for Job. And I wish, I pray right now that God, you don't brag about me and, and say, have you considered Luther? Because what happens next is just the worst. So then the accuser accuses him and says, oh, he only praises you or he only worships you or he's only that good because you bless him. You see, he's got everything going for him. And then God says, that's not the point. And then the devil says, let me test him. And he goes on to test him. But God says, you can test him, but you can't take his life. And I think they repeat this process a couple of times. And in each step, just true to the character of Job, he does not rebuke God. He doesn't say anything to God or, or, 
or mock him. He's just like the most humble person in suffering. But the suffering gets worse. And the suffering gets worse. And I would, I would describe it as I've described it before. If you've ever, and maybe you can relate with this in this season. Once upon a time, I was swimming there at Suncoast and there was a, a bank in the distance and it looked closer than it was and I started to swim towards it and it looked smaller than it was and as I got closer this bank got bigger and as I started getting tired and having nowhere to go and nowhere to put my feet and as I get my feet onto the sandbank more waves more wash off and eventually I had like this headache and I was spinning and, and Job's suffering feels a little bit like that as he's accepted the first thing and he's, as he's come to terms with it and made peace and said, well, it doesn't matter if I've lost my stuff. I came into the, this world with it. I, I'm without it. I can leave without it. I'm okay. And then another wave. And then another, and as he stops for air, another wave. And eventually the suffering is overwhelming. Eventually the suffering is so bad that it affects him physically, but he just can't die. And his own wife says, why would you maintain your dignity? Why wouldn't you just curse God and die? And he tells her, stop speaking foolishness. This man is a good man, but eventually his friends hear about his suffering and they go to see him and it's so bad. It's so atrocious that they sit down next to him and they just, they say nothing for seven days as his skin is falling apart and he's using like porcelain to, to scrape off the, the scabs and like, he's been hit by the earth. Everything is against him. And so he just sits there quietly for seven days and says nothing. And then we go on to verse 4 and Job speaks. <laughs> and when he breaks his silence, man, Job goes into a tirade. And this part of the book, first of all, I just wanted to highlight, P.S. side note. If you ever quote the book of Job, it's, be careful when you quote this part of the book because it's, a, it's, it's like a poetic dialogue of suggestions. People are they're reasoning with each other and trying to understand and make sense of the suffering as humans do. And so they do what we normally do and we, they start to, he, he makes an accusation and he's got like a, a basic premise here is that his argument is that I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been upright and steadfast. And so because of that, God must not operate the world on a strict principle of justice or else he himself is not just, or that's his conclusion. It's either God doesn't operate the world on, 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 a, on, on, on a strict principle of justice or he himself is not just. And he goes through this pattern and dialogue three times and his friends on the other hand are saying, God is innocent. I mean, God is uh, who he is. He is just. He does operate the world on a strict principle of justice. You must have done something wrong. And that's the beginning place where us as people as well go to a place where we try to say, I must have done something wrong. What did I do to deserve this? And don't get me wrong, when sometimes... Sometimes when you make bad decisions, bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. There's, there's things that we can figure. There's just things we don't know. And they're trying to figure that out. And so they're discussing it. And they try to lay accusations about his sons, about his family, about him and the things that he must have done. And all along, Job is just going, I have done nothing wrong. I am innocent. I don't deserve this. Why is it happening to me? And he carries on questioning the thing of justice. And this, they have this back and forth. Eventually, Job gets fed up with the friends. He says his last piece. And you have to understand that the place Job is in is, is like the, the friend that Paul was talking about last week. He's, the whole fabric of his reality has been torn apart. Because on one side, he's suffering so intensely that he cursed the day he was born. He wishes he would die. 
And on the other hand, he wants to believe in God. He wants to believe the things he's grown up and, and been taught to believe about God. He wants to believe in the character of God, but he can't reconcile it with his suffering. And so he, in, one, in one sentence, he'll say like the most blasphemous thing and then take it back in the next sentence because he's so conflicted by this thing. And he has this wrestle, but he doesn't acknowledge the friends anymore because he, he gets so fed up that he, he takes his case to God. He demands to speak to God himself. And just before this, this section of the thing is, is brought to a cap, we're introduced to one more character. And just understand that the first three, they, they basically represent us. They also represent um, the thinking of the time. Often when suffering happens, we try to make sense of it by finding something to blame, something to point at, or questioning why it's happening. And we don't always get a reason. And the, the, next, the, the, the third person comes in, and I think he's a little bit younger, but his name is Elihu. And he comes in, and he speaks about the, the other three, and then he puts down his piece. Now Elihu's response is a little bit more sophisticated, and it pushes a little bit past that, that well, you must have done something wrong. God is just, you, 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 you're guilty. That's why this is happening. And he pushes past that a little bit, and he says, God is just. He does operate the world on a strict principle of justice. But, like, like he'll, now he gave us the, the apologetics argument. Sometimes things happen because people are evil. Sometimes this happens for this. Sometimes pain is a warning so that you don't make a mistake in the future. He makes all those kinds of suggestions. And like I said, they're a little bit more sophisticated than the other guys. But at this point, Job is not... He's not even interested. He doesn't even acknowledge him. And then the chapter is brought to a close. And just like that, we've exhausted. I love the phrase they use in this video they're watching. But they'd exhausted all the resources or all the capacity of human understanding in their attempts to figure out why this thing is happening. And they couldn't get an answer. We move on to the next part. And this is the part I get so excited about that I, I wanted to rush to. Because in this next part, it's not what we expect. God comes in, and you'd think he would come in there and he would just give Job the most straightforward, simple answer, and Job, like, and everything would be all right. But we never find out an answer to Job's suffering. But God does something else that God is in the habit of doing. He opens up a window for Job into himself. And it's a bit of an intense window. It's like an interrogation because he starts to ask it. He pulls him in and takes him on a virtual tour of the universe and he starts to ask him, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Do you know what yardstick I used to measure it and to make sure that you're the right distance from this and that? Where were you when I told the waves this far and no further? Have you ever been to the depths of the sea and know where the water comes from? Have you, were you there when I set the weather into motion? To, do you know where the darkness comes from and can you tell it to go away or can you set it in its place? And the whole time God is doing that, he's basically just showing him something that I think Job had been so immersed in his suffering that he hadn't considered. Or maybe he had, but he'd forgotten. God just keeps showing him who he is. And he carries on with this and he posts and says, do you understand anything about the constellation? Can you pull down Orion's belt? Can you set it into motion? I'm going to add my own little pieces here because the world is so fascinating that we wake up every morning. And we don't even consider the universe. We feel safe enough to just walk out of the house and go on with our lives. Though there are thousands of stars and thousands of things we don't understand out there, we don't even consider 
them because God has built the world so perfectly and so safely that we trust that everything is going to be the same as when we went to sleep the day before in terms of the universe. Did you know that I was watching this just the other day that the volume or the water quantity in the ocean not just has a relationship with the moon in terms of controlling gravity, but it also has a counter drag that causes the earth to spin at the exact rate that it needs to for us to have the days that we have. We're like the perfect distance from the sun, a meter closer, a meter further, one is frozen, one is burnt. God has set this world into like an incredible, incredible motion. But I'm going to move further again because he starts to boast about animals. And I'm wondering, God, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you trying to say? But he starts to boast about animals and he asks, do you know when to bring the cub out of hiding? I need you, I mean, the bear needs cubs out of hibernation. A bear goes for a whole season without eating and just sleeps and nests its babies. And just on time, every time it knows when to come out and they know when to, how to survive. I see incredible things. And he says, do you know about the mountain goats and its pattern? I'm so fascinated by the mountain goat. Because the greatest feat I've ever seen any human do is, 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 is do that free solo. I don't know what his name is, but outside of that human, there is no human being that can skirt a mountain the way a mountain goat can. Without even thinking about it, without the ropes and harnesses and the powder, this thing just runs up and down mountains. It stands in grace. And it's a goat with hooves. That just speaks to the splendor, the bigness, the wisdom of God. He says, an ostrich is so foolish. It's so stupid that it gives birth to its eggs on the floor. It doesn't consider that it might trample on them or they might get stolen. But when that thing runs, even though it can't fly, when it takes off, it'll make horse and rider look foolish. God just carries on and on and on with this. I'm going to add one more example. And this just happened in my room last night. Last night I was supposed to go to bed at around half past eight. I got into bed, I did a little bit of work, and a little old mosquito came into my room. I went to bed after midnight, chasing one mosquito, who God put the instinct in, as annoying as it is, to know where to hide, to know to go, out, to, to go into the deepest, darkest corners of my room when the lights come on and come back out as I'm starting to snooze into my sleep. God knows all of that. He put all of that into motion. And I know that in the middle of suffering, it sounds a little bit, what can I say, inconsiderate. But this is the first thing that I need you to know. And, or the point is that God is massive beyond our comprehension. God is huge. That's not for nothing. I don't want to say because God is big and mighty and sovereign, all-knowing and all-wise, we just go, Lord knows. And I, I don't know if you've seen it, but, or if I mentioned in the beginning, but that's the name of this message. It's God knows. But that's not the energy that I want you to have walking out of this message. I don't want you to just go, God knows, because really we don't understand some of these things. But what is God doing here when he speaks to him? I think the point that God is making is what's said in Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, when he goes, and it's not going to be on the screen, but he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and so are my ways higher than yours. God is infin infinitely bigger, infinitely wiser, infinitely more sovereign than we can ever, ever imagine. And the mistake or the travesty would be to be so immersed in our suffering, not because our suffering is light, not because it's momentary. That's not what I'm trying to say but because God is so much bigger than the thing we see from where we stand, than the limited range of our understanding. 
And so in all of your suffering, the first thing that I want you to know is who God is. God does this again. There's a, there's a man in the Bible. I said that God has got a habit of doing this, but there's a man in the Bible. His name is Elijah, and he has basically his best day. And straight after that, he gets a threat, and it turns into his worst day. And in that moment, he takes off. He runs an ungodly distance into a mountainside. And I've always wondered about this because God tells him to go out onto the mountainside. And maybe this is just my... Uh, my optimistic brain creating a story for myself, but he makes him go out and then he sends a big wind, he sends an earthquake, and then he sends a fire sweeping along the mountainside, and then after it, a gentle whisper. But I feel like God is saying there what he was saying to Job, is that earth, wind, and fire are under my control. I made this. I'm wise enough to keep control of it. I know. I as God, no, I'm not talking about myself, but I'm talking about God himself. He knows. And so he doesn't address Elijah for his suffering, but he shows him or reminds him who he is. There's another place that where his servant, actually, who he's blessed with a thousand over, comes out into the city and they surround it. And he says to his servant, open his eyes so that he may see. May we open our eyes that we may see reality that God is far bigger, far more mighty than any army that can come against us and that he has our back. I need you that in every moment of suffering to get behind God and know who he is. The story doesn't stop there. And this is the response after Job's global tour of the cosmos and everything in it's fascinating and small and big and everything in between. Uh, I would also advise that you go on your own virtual, just watch stuff, watch planet Earth, watch that. It just absolutely blows my mind how God has set everything into motion. You cannot help but be in awe of who he is. And like I said before, I don't want this awe to be an awe that, 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 that makes you certain like, oh, well, God knows. That's not the purpose. I want that, that God knows to be a more optimistic, bigger, hopeful. God knows because you know who God is. But Job responds, and this is the perfect response to what he's just seen. It's a response of, Humility, he's absolutely humbled, and repentance. And he says this in Job 42, verse 1 to 4, he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscured my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. In verse 5, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He has this watershed moment where he remembers again just who God is and that, and that it, it almost deals with the question of suffering peripherally. That's a big word. I'm... <laughs> but anyways, God doesn't stop there. It, I, I, I've got the summary here that I wrote down that I thought was the best summary of the book of Job, but it says something like this. It says, the book of Job does not unlock the puzzle of human suffering. We will not always understand why things are happening. We will not always understand why suffering happens to good people. We don't get that answer. Even I, have, as, a, as a pastor, I have to come to a place where I've had to go sometimes. I just don't know. And then it goes on to say this in this, in this uh Verse that I wrote, but there's an invitation to trust God's wisdom when we encounter suffering. Suffering. Beyond that, 
The call is to bring our pain and our grief to God and trust that he actually cares and knows what he is doing. And trust that he actually cares and knows what he is doing. That's why I say God pushes past that because in the epilogue, when you read in the end of this, God gives down some or hands down some kind of judgment to the, to, uh, the three brothers, I mean the three friends, Elihu and, 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 and uh, Job. And he actually judges Job as right. When he judges Job, he says, you spoke correctly of me. They did not. Even though they were trying to defend God in some sense, they couldn't. Even though they tried to use uh, human logic to explain a much bigger pr principle that we possibly couldn't understand, but in a positive way, they were wrong. And God has said to Job, even though Job skirted the line of blasphemy and accusing God of being unjust and being all of these other things, God said, he spoke correctly of me. Because God doesn't just want you to understand that he's big and mighty and sovereign and that everything is in his hands and that the governments of the world and that the governments of heaven are in his control and in his domain or that he created. He doesn't want you to just sit there and go, oh, well, God knows. He wants you to know that though he is that, he's invited you into it. He's invited you into some promises. God still makes a beautiful picture for us to see in scripture that says, Come along on this journey. Come with me. It says um, in Psalm 8 verse 4 to 8, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the sons of man that you care for him? Though God is that big and mighty thing that we can barely fathom, he cares about us. And he said that no, no person uh, made that philosophy up. He reached out to us and he's going, I care about you. He's called us to cast our cares on him. And so in the same sense here, he invites Job and he, he commends him for wrestling with him. He says, I commend you for your honesty and for your courage to wrestle with me. There's a picture that brings the story into full circle where Jacob wrestles with God. It says, Jacob wrestled with God until the break of dawn and just before the sun up and he held on to him and said, I would not let you go until you bless me. Israel became known as, as, well, their name means he who wrestled with God after, jo after Jacob got that blessing. And we've been invited into that now as Christians, as, into, as people of God, we've been invited. Another word for wrestle is intimacy. We've been invited into intimacy with God. And if it was just a relationship of God is sovereign and we just go, oh, well, he knows. It's kind of like, an olden day relationship where we just submit, where we just accept that the, the husband will do what he does and the wife is going to do this part of the, of, of the doing. It's not like that God has called us into an intimacy, he's invited into, us into relationship with him and he's actually made a way through Jesus going, I am the way, the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we get to come to the Father. We get to have intimacy with him and intimacy of but hear me correctly, I've come to learn this just in the first two years of relationship is that if you want to connect with your partner, if you want to connect with someone that you want to be intimate with, you have to be able to open, open yourself up. You have to be able to speak honestly and confidently. You have to be able to hear each other out. And that's what God has invited us into. And so as we walk into this year called 2021, with all the mysteries that it holds, with all the potential for suffering and chaos and danger, can we get those two points? First, the understanding of just how, how big, how mighty, how majestic, how awesome 
how wise God himself is. And then can we have the, uh, the faith or the courage or the wisdom, whatever you want, you want to call, call it, to, to always remember that or to keep looking in that direction when we fight our battles. To fight our battles from that position, knowing who God is. And then the second thing is that can we remember that God cares deeply for us, that in every moment he is there with us and fighting for us. May that be the posture with which you fight the battles of 2021. And I don't know what they hold, but in the cliche Christian term, I know who holds them. I'm gonna, on that bombshell, I'm going to pray. And I just pray that you guys also have a very awesome and blessed 2021. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. And I just pray that day after day, in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our valleys and in the, at our highest points, that you would keep showing us more of you that we would get a picture of your splendor, your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding, and may that help us to trust you. Thank you for an invitation in this book to trust you, to trust that you're wise enough to govern the world and to trust that you know everything that's going on. And God, I just pray that you would also be so close to us, that we would feel intimacy with you that that would be the thing that holds us in the middle of every single storm in life, every single hard moment, every single easy moment, every single celebration, every single victory. God, I just pray that in all of it, you would be right there with us in relationship and in intimacy, holding us. Finally, Jesus, I thank you so much that you would die on a cross to make that a reality. Thank you that you would lay down your life, that whoever believes in you could have access to God ungoverned access, unlimited access all the time. We lift your name up. We love you so much. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And I just, as I, to reiterate, I just pray that you guys have an awesome, awesome and blessed 2021. See you guys soon. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to find out more information about Olive Tree Church, please visit our website at otc.org.za or email info at otc.org.za. We hope you have an amazing week.